Hello, hello. Welcome to the Petropolis Podcast. I'm your host, Taz. Today's episode is about brands and how they get in front of the consumer. It's a hell of a process and it's a tough thing for brand creators to do on their own. So my guests today will walk you through what they do and how they help these brands and manufacturers get in front of the consumer or get into the hands of the retailers who actually get the products to the consumers. So there's a a lot of good information here, not only for up and coming new manufacturers, but people that are already in the market and the people that are selling brands that are in retail. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe. Please subscribe. I need all the subscribers out there. And if there's anyone you want me to connect with and have on the show, please drop me a line at uh, tazitpetropolis.com and I would love to check them out. Enjoy the show. Hello, pet people. I'm here with Christy Menner and Kyle Wessels of Legacy Solutions USA. They are a company that represents brands and um, provides solutions to brands like positioning, marketing, uh, export. Is that correct? Um, I'm going to ask you guys to describe who you are because uh, the first time I heard your name, I thought I was going to talk to a law firm. And um, here we are. Christy and Kyle, how are you? Welcome to the Petropolis podcast. Doing good. Thanks for having us. us. Thank you. So can uh, Kyle or Christy, either one of you, can, can you tell me what it is that you do, how you represent brands, who needs your services? Well, what we try to do is just help brands reach their potential, depending where the position is in the market, kind of just evaluating their resources and, and just helping them uh, reach their full potential. What does that mean? <laughs> well, there's a lot of factors that go into to companies uh, reaching their potential. So just really getting in and evaluating uh, their products and the position that they want to be in. I don't know if that actually helps. Yeah, so we, I mean, when people are kind of like, what do you guys do? Kyle and I joke and say, what don't we do? Because really, we can do a little bit of everything and every vendor we've learned needs something different. When we first started Legacy, we had a menu of services and we learned pretty quickly that most vendors, not that the menu can't help, but that everybody needs something different and we need to customize. So a vendor may need just representation. A vendor may be already out selling maybe directly to a consumer using a small website, but they wanna launch into pet specialty. Uh, Some may need help getting set up in a distribution network. Um, Others may be already out there doing well in other countries, but they're looking to have a presence in the United States. So really, we learned quickly that the menu of services is a great template. We can say we do distribution management, we do representation, we do consultation, we can do product development, but, but we've learned pretty quickly, 
that we can do what the vendor needs us to do to help them to be successful. Maybe it's all of that. Maybe it's just one small component. So Does that you make sense? It, it makes sense. Yes. Okay. It makes yeah. Sense. So it's a lot of hand-holding and yes. giving direction and guidance. Do you have any kind of criteria that you prefer to work with when it comes to vendors or, you know, come, come ye, come all is, is the mindset? Um, Kyle, um, I can take this one. I would say, you know, we're a year old. We just hit a year old. So I think initially I thought, how are we going to find vendors and how are they going to find us? But fortunately, combined Kyle and I hope are 50 years of experience and relationships in the pet industry. We kind of put ourselves out there and the timing of it was around global a year ago. And we had quite a few brands come to us. It was, it was overwhelming at first. And we learned pretty quickly that we probably didn't have the bandwidth to take everybody on. And we needed to figure out what was the best strategy because we didn't want to take on a lot and then not be successful and then get a reputation that we don't do a good job. So we ended up partnering with some, what we would call emerging brands, smaller brands probably compared to some of the big guys. And we've brought on some additional brands as we go. And there's times where we've actually said no to brands because we know we're probably not the right fit or we just can't give them what they need right now. We welcome brands coming to us. And in some situations, we've gone to brands. Right, Kyle, would you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yeah, yeah we like brands. We'll hunt them down and, and see if there's opportunity with them. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So when it comes to criteria, I think the, the first thing is you've got to be nice people. And I mean, we've turned brands that are just great. <laughs> They're super nice people, but the product doesn't fit um, kind of the direction. We're, we're passionate about pet specialty, mm -hmm. true independent pet specialty. All of my adult friends are from the industry. Mm -hmm. So that's that the, the adult friend. Well, I, the only other friends are ones from from childhood. So I still have a lot of them, but. So everyone's in pet specialty. So you guys talk amongst yourselves. Is that correct? We do. We do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> That's going to be fun to talk about here. All right. So what are the vendors expecting from you when, when you merge and how start the relationships? Um, I understand they each have different needs, but what is the thing that most of them are looking for that you've experienced so far in the short time you've been in business? I think honesty yeah. and transparency. That's the biggest thing is that there's so many brands that have partnered with other companies and don't feel that they're, um, I say well represented or there's so many additional products um, that they don't get the focus that they need. So there are other companies that have 300 brands that they represent and these guys, they, and the reason why they're coming to you is so they don't fall into that path. So they have actual representation, but that transparency, you're right up there in front with them. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. All right. Like, is it because of how young you are or is it because you're, why is it that you're different than others? Why, why aren't they doing the same thing you do? Because I see other companies out there like Packer, Mellon, SLA. I mean, they have, they have big staff that they have, substantial number of people on staff and you would think they would be able to handhold well 
I don't even know how else to put it. Um, why do you think that what you do is different than what others do, that transparency? I think just focus. That we try to focus on the needs and not bite off more than we can chew. And it certainly does have something to do with our, with our age, as Christy had mentioned earlier. You know, reputation is, is just paramount. That's, that's what you have to be concerned with. You can't give um, too much of yourself to too many people. Uh, you guys work with distributors, right? A lot of brands want to get into distribution. Right. And yes. you're looking for help getting there. Yes. Um, or they're maybe already there, Taz, but they're not feeling they're getting the focus because, you know, maybe the distributor, you know, maybe they just, maybe they have a lot of brands already. Maybe they have a lot already in that category or quite honestly, maybe the distributor just hasn't had somebody to put it in front of them to say, Hey, this would be a good brand for you to focus on because of the following. So why can't the brand do that with the distributor? Is, is the distributor so disconnected? Cause you know, you guys both have distribution background. You were at Phillips, right? Christy, yes. that's where yes. you and I know each other from. Um, are the distributors kind of, I mean, just like what Kyle said about, you know, biting off more than you can chew, do they have too much on their plate and they need someone who has history to come in and say, here, look at this product. Let's show you what it's all about. Why? I mean, do the distributors even know their companies? I just asked four questions in one place. So yeah. <laughs> well, so, so I guess we could step back. So for the manufacturer, I'll use Nandipet for an example. We're partnered with Nandipet. It's a natural treat from South Africa. The owner lives in South Africa and his facility is in South Africa. And he's hired Legacy to launch this brand in the US. He already has it in other countries. And he's come to us to help us build a distribution network to help him get his product out into the marketplace. And he will eventually reach the point where he's hiring his own salespeople to have them out as well supporting the brand. So what our responsibility is, is to, I mean, we basically handle Nandi Pet as if it's our own company. We do everything for him from as basic as packing samples in a box, getting them out to the sales reps and training them at distributor level to getting products set up in distribution, new items set up, promotions, ISOs. Um, we just got set up on Astro. Um, all of these things are recommendations that we've made to say, hey, here are some things that we feel could help you with your business. And then we then bring that to the distributor um, so that they're aware of all the things that Nandi is doing. And we act as the liaison between the manufacturer and the distributor. I think for some of the larger companies, and I've been around a long time, I mean, there, were, there was a time when in distribution, manufacturers really relied on the distributor reps because they didn't have a lot of their own reps. And over time, that's changed. Now a lot of manufacturers have a lot of reps and they cover uh, smaller territories than maybe they did in the past, depending upon who the brand is. Um, so that's, I think, has changed a lot. Distrib distribution used to maybe launch brands more than they have in the past. And now for some of the newer kind of emerging companies, they need a partner that can help them 
kind of make that connection with the distributor through relationships, know the salespeople, know the accounts that the distributor is calling on, know what the, I mean, one thing I can say after 24 years of being on the distributor side, there's a lot that goes into being a distributor, a lot more than what people think. It isn't just getting product from point A to point B. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens in between. And through our experience, we can help navigate that for a manufacturer. Is that not to be too wordy, but hopefully that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's I good. Answer it? Okay. No, no, absolutely. Okay. Um, so do you think brands need companies like yours now because of how the distribution, how difficult the distribution channel actually is? And then there, there's e-commerce that comes in right behind, you know, distribution to retail. So do you think brands really need companies like yours to be able to take off and get to a level where they have visibility or can they do it on their own? Obviously, it's, we're talking about brands that have some kind of substance to them. Um, yeah, I think that there is, it, depending, on, depending on the brand, um, I mean, I think obviously, we, I think we uh, provide value and service. So just navigating through the, the minutiae with distributors, you have to have some experience. Brands can certainly do it themselves. Uh, it's a pretty, I guess, sharp learning curve. Like you'll find out if you do something wrong, if your sequence is, is out of place, it shows itself pretty quickly. So yeah, I think that um, small, new entrepreneur emerging brands uh, need help just navigating through the, like I said, the minutia. Have we made it difficult to get out in front of the consumer or, um, or has the industry made it difficult to get out in front of the consumer? where you guys have been around a while, 10 years ago, was the process the same? Or have there been changes that's caused this to, cause there to be a need for services like this? I think there's been such a rush to the pet space since, I don't know, uh, probably around 2007, when they kind of realized it's, hey, this, is, this might be a recession-proof uh, space. So everybody's coming in, once again, it, I don't think the retailer has made it hard. The manufacturer has made it hard on the retailer to pick a winner. It's, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's difficult. Retailers are in a difficult position right now. Can you, let's, let's, let's touch on that a little bit more. The manufacturer has made it hard. Man, the, just the overall, the amount of manufacturers. There's so many, like pick a, pick a dog cookie. How many dog cookies are on the market? Uh, I know I have 30 in my store. Yeah. <laughs> And and you're highly selective, I'm sure. I'm highly selective. No, yeah, I'm, I'm so a number out of my rear, but no, yeah. and so am I. But you go to global, and that's why I love trade shows. You go and actually, you can touch and feel and see where packaging makes sense, where you like the people. Exactly, that's, that's it. It's those relationships. It's the people first. Absolutely. And actually, people and product are the then, two main components when it comes to brands. So if there's a shitty person out there. I'm not going to put their product on my shelves. And there's no shortage. <laughs> so then you can differentiate what's, you know, what to put in exactly. and what, you know, what not to bring in. <laughs> I mean, we all want to have fun. We all want to have fun doing what, you know, working yeah. and being selective is, uh, is key, right? Work with people that you like. Absolutely. I only want to surround myself with people that bring value to my life and I can do the same to theirs. Yeah. 
So yeah, that is definitely criteria. But you said the manufacturers have made it hard because there's such a, and, and, and you know, interestingly, they're all copying each other. As something, as something new and innovative comes out, somebody else wants to come in and so, take that over and commoditize it even more than our, it already is commoditized because pet food, brand, pet products are commodity. So in the end, we're kind of, I feel like we're spinning all the time on the retail side anyway. Right. So I could see why companies like yours exist. However, and this is what us retailers discuss amongst ourselves, um, salespeople. And we're salespeople. They're not offering anything to the retailers. So we still are stuck in trying to figure out what the manufacturers are putting out there. How does a company like yours being young and being um, selective with brands that you bring in change the way we look at brands? Oh, I'm going to give that to Christy. <laughs> I don't know. How do we change the way that you look at brands? Yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, and I think it has multiple layers to it because I think it goes back to training and who our products are with and how they're being represented. I mean, when I managed a sales team and I did it for a long time, I think it was always very important that the sales reps be a traveling roadshow in a way because many retailers can't get to trade shows. I mean, look at this year, we don't even have any trade shows, right? So once sales calls start opening back up, it's gonna be super important to put new items in a sample bag, kick it old school, as I like to say, bring them in, open them up, let a retailer rummage through and see new items, lay them out on the table, however you wanna do it, because without that happening, new products aren't gonna get out there for, you all to see. And I know we have social media now with Instagram and Facebook and we encourage all of our, and, and Twitter and all this great stuff, we encourage all of our vendors to really use social media to get their stuff out there to the consumer. But with new and emerging brands, and I'm not talking maybe some like a toy or what have you, but for like a treat, something that really needs to be tried. Um, and then with the hope they're going to come back and buy it again and then try more, more products within that line. We really need recommendation from the retailer. We need to provide a beautiful display, beautiful packaging at a right, right price point. But we need that product to be shown by the reps or by ourselves. And then we need the retailer support. So does that help answer that? Yes, it absolutely does. Nice. Where do brands fail where do your vendors fail hmm. patience yeah probably wanting wanting things to immediately happen um it takes time gosh just getting your product set up with a distributor it takes time it takes a while to get through the process new items set up get it priced get it slotted in the warehouse get a po get the product in get the reps then trained, get them out samples to go out and present. Um, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. That's Kyle. months. Yeah. That, that it, takes it, months. It and... takes time. It takes time. And then I think, um, I hate to say the word fail because knock on wood, we haven't failed yet with the brand. <laughs> um, <laughs> but 
I would say probably um, maybe over committing, over committing, um, and then maybe not being able to, to pull through. Like these are all the things we wanna do. This is what the budget we have. We're gonna offer this promotion. We're gonna sign up with this program. We're gonna get into X amount of distributors, but then as things progress, if sales are not what they need it to be, you know, all, the, all those budgets are driven by sales. So you have to be really careful that you budgeted to do X, but that's based off of why sales occurring. And if those why sales don't occur the way that they need to for whatever the reason, where does the budget then stand to get us through the rest of the year for promoting the line and doing the things we need to do to make the brand successful? And then conversely, if you have a, a brand that hits the market, has high demand, but can't produce enough to fill, that's the kiss of death is like, yeah. oh, I love this product. I want this product. You're just inviting other manufacturers to come in, as you said earlier, and just knock it off. Yep. So yeah, sequencing, um, as Christy said, the, the right steps at the right time and making sure that your manufacturer has the ability to uh, scale and, and scale quickly if needed. And you guys can help with that process. Is that correct? Are you, as far as manufacturing goes and being able to get them from small to medium to, can you help them scale their businesses? Is that one of the things that you do? Well, we can, we can identify kind of the benchmarks where you can see that, that the product is taking off. It all depends on the budget of the company and, and their resources, mm -hmm. but, but putting the right uh, things in place at the right time, not trying to be everything to everybody right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. So not we can help with forecasting. Okay. We can help with forecasting as well to help. We have a little bit of experience with that. Yeah. <laughs> I like what you said, Kyle, not trying to be everything to everybody. Is that something that you would consider a brand failure because they want to be everything? Cause I've seen that over and over again. Every yeah. dog loves this. Yeah. Or every cat will eat this. Well, no. No. Yeah. I, I think um, it, it's just, it's a trap that brands fall into because it is, it's based on revenue. Let's, you know, that, that's everybody, everybody has to make a living mm -hmm. and some want to make much better livings than others. So, what makes a in your, Christy, in, in your view, um, what makes a great vendor? Give me the attributes that make somebody who's going into this business, who's creating a product or products rather, what, what attributes would make them be successful in this, in this segment? Well, I would say being a good vendor partner means a lot. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, wanting to have the same common goals for success, I feel is important. Meaning, is your goal pet specialty? Is your goal to be in Target and Walmart? Is your goal to be e-commerce? You know, we all need to be on the same page as to what the goal is and how we're going to get there. Um, being very transparent is really important. You know, 
where where is your vision and how are you able to get there and do you have the resources to get there because if you're not transparent with that and we think we're working with one kind of budget to get this product out there and then we realize that budget isn't what we thought it was going to be none of us are going to be successful so that means be honest instead of hopeful mm -hmm. and just yes. right yeah. Yes. Let's let's put it out there. Be yeah. honest, don't be hopeful. Don't yeah. Be Hope's not a plan. Yeah. <laughs> be, be, being very transparent is really important. Are you really new to market, or did you try this once before and it didn't work and failed, and you're trying to revitalize it? I just think that's there are some brands out there that have run into that, and that's fine. Just need to be transparent so we know what we're up against. Um, so I think that's very important. I think passion. I yep. think passion is key. Mm-hmm. Obviously, integrity as integrity. transparency and, and work ethic. I mean, mm -hmm. you got to live it. You got to live the brand. Mm -hmm. Yep. What I've noticed with some of the brands that I've encountered, I'll tell you, people come to me and tell me about their products and just having a retail store, they do that. And having a podcast, they think, you know, if I talk about their product, it's going to all of a sudden sell life doesn't work that way let's let's be real um but you know, they want someone else to do the work has that <laughs> have you kyle is laughing um creating a product takes so much work and effort especially if you're doing a food and afco there's so many variables um there are a lot of lazy people out there are you do you get People that come to you who just want you to do all the footwork and say, here, I got this great treat. We, got a we manufactured. Yeah, we haven't really experienced that. Not that I can think of. No, I can't uh, say that we have. Okay. I, yeah. yeah, all of our vendors, I would say that we're partnered with right now are super committed. We're dealing with the actual owners. They're, they're emerging brands. Um, they're putting in as much work, if not more. They're relying on our experience and expertise and knowledge um, to help them get to the next level. But each one of them, I would say, are 100% committed yeah. to their brand, passionate about their brand, and wanting to be as successful as they possibly can be. I truly mean that. That's not to say we haven't run into brands like what you just said, Taz, that are saying, here, take this and make something of it. And you know, give me updates and let me know how it's going. But we're not currently working with we, those brands. No, yeah. we've, yeah, we've certainly seen that at distribution. I mean, there's no, there's no shortage of people. It's like, hey, got a great product. Now get this to market, uh, you know, with no plan. Really? On the distribution side? No, I'm sorry? On the distribution side. On the distribution, yeah, brands, when, when uh, we were working in distribution, mm -hmm. you would see, you would see a, a handful of brands that would come. It could be food, it could treats, yeah. toys, just say we you got have, a great product, but, but no plan. Yeah. I mean, we have had some companies come and kind of say, Hey, we would like for you to develop um, a product for us and kind of completely turn that over knowing, especially with Kyle's background is very strong in treats and manufacturing knowing that we have that experience level and pretty much saying like, here, this is what my vision is. Can you take it from here? You know, this is my budget. This is what I'd like to create. So in that regard, yes, but definitely a partnership and working together to grow the actual brands that we're working with. 
where do distributors fail brands? Failures are good. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, this is a loaded This is question. almost like a third rail. Yeah, you're yeah, hitting the third I, rail. There. I love, I love my distributors and I love that world. I was in it for a long time. I don't think anybody ever necessarily sets out to fail. Nobody wants to fail. I think sometimes failure happens because plates are too full. There's so many opportunities and things to sell and focus on um, that it's easy for some brands to get lost in the cracks and lost, lost in the mix. Well, Chrissy, isn't that a failure right there? You're taking on more than you can handle? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, it depends that's upon the, how you look at it. It depends on how you look at it. Cause you could look at it from the distributor view that the more they have to sell, the more they have to offer and they can reach a broader base because they have multiple brands in multiple categories to fit everybody's needs. Then you have some of your, what I would call like your regional, your smaller distributors that have a smaller um, presentation portfolio of products and maybe they can have a little bit more of a laser focus. I don't think either is right or wrong. I think we need both. I really do believe we need both, but I think failure can occur because we, there, it's, an, it's an ever changing world in the pet industry, right? I mean, one minute we're grain free, the next minute we're not grain free. One minute we're, we're you know, it's, it changes very quickly. So well, it's because there's a lot of opinions and there's a lot of yes. um, a lot of money out there to promote what a specific company is looking for mm -hmm. to get to the consumer. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean there's truth to any of it. No, mm -hmm. no. That's so yeah. That's not. manipulation, right? I mean, marketing, <laughs> marketing is manipulation to <laughs> to a point where, yeah. I don't know. Marketing, if if a product's good and it you can tell a story. Marketing is telling stories. Mm -hmm. And if a product has value and um, can create a space and, and give the consumer what they need, marketing is great. But if yep. you're just playing games because your product sucks and you know, you're creating an environment through marketing, that's manipulation. Exactly. And yep. Yep. that's a big frustration for the consumer. I mean, I'm a consumer, you're a consumer. Yeah. And we, I watch commercials. I'm in stores. And I'm like, oh my god, what is this shit on the shelves? Yeah, the, the shit on the shelves. My saying. Yeah, nothing, nothing worse than a, you know, a, a crappy product from a company that's got deep, deep pockets. How does leave it at small, that. Thank you. How does a small brand um, compete when? with companies i mean there's that you know the, these big companies with deep pockets who create an environment of health and quality whereas their products are not anything that they're claiming they are and then there's a small company who's putting all the effort into research and development and getting their product out there and it's so exhausting you know it's small group they're get getting it done how do you what, what is it that you can do as, as within your group to help them get visibility? Well, if you have a compelling product with a good story, you have to have, you have to have great margin as well. That's the incentive. That's the incentive for everybody. Yep. It, it really is. So focusing on that, that's what separates in my, in my 
in my view. Is that Christy? simple? It is simple. Yeah. Christy, mm -hmm. what do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I absolutely agree. Margin is super important and you as retailers need to maintain your margin and manufacturing distributors need to maintain their margin. It's, it's the name of the game and those that don't, they can't sustain. Let's talk about retailers. Where, don't laugh, no. Um, where do we, where should we start looking for products? What should we be looking for to bring the consumer in? What's our responsibility? What do you want to tell a retailer? I'm just asking 4,000 questions. <laughs> Is there a message that you would want to deliver to the retailers um, about how they're running their businesses that maybe they could take and, and do a better job? Oh, yeah. I can't yeah. offer advice on that. Yikes. Because that's, that's a, yeah, that's a, it, yeah. Being a retailer, I mean, again, I've got a lot of friends that are retail. It, that's a tough, tough business. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the thing that you have to do is look at your income. You have to put the dog first, right? I'm a, I love cats, but I really love dogs. Like you have to put the dog first. You have to have the high quality product. You, back to what we had mentioned earlier with quality people that, that are passionate and have integrity. And then, you know, the margin, you have to be able to make money selling it's a it's a it's so a simple you, recipe when you have to when you put the animal first what does that mean what does that look like i mean are you cooing, are you cooing with the animal hello baby how are you <laughs> your staff is super sweet with the animals but doesn't know shit about products and the brands because you walk into stores really most many many many, yeah. many retailers and you know this know nothing about what's on their shelves mm -hmm. i'm shocked how many retailers don't have point of sale systems out mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. They're still counting, you know, mm -hmm. an abacus or something. They're using so, yeah. I, Training I, and education, right? Mm -hmm. Where does the education come from? Well, it comes from the, the the brand. Really, has the responsibility to educate the retailer and consumer about their product. They created it. They know what separates them from the competition, and nobody can articulate it better than the the person that has created it. Almost to a fault. <laughs> Almost to a fault. <laughs> yeah, the education piece is really key, Taz. I'm super passionate about education. And coming from the vendor side, you know, our vendors created these products. And I always say to Kyle, it's almost like too much of an info dump when we go to educate because we can just share so much information that it can be overwhelming and confusing. And it's really important we skinny it down and call out the top three or four areas that somebody is actually going to remember because that distributor rep is selling a lot of products. They have a lot of other products they need to learn about. Our wonderful store staff are selling a lot of other products and some of them are duplications and they have many in that category sitting on the shelf for them to recommend. And we, it's our job to make sure that when we're messaging the education piece from our, our vendors that we're really calling out what's most important and we're making it very easy to understand. Because if we don't do that, 
people sell what they feel comfortable talking about. People sell, you will talk all day long about something that you've tried, you've used, you believe in, you've seen the proof because you, you can talk to that, right? When you want to complicate something, complicate a sales message, put it in the hands of somebody who doesn't feel comfortable selling it and talking about it and then tell them to go out and tell the consumers and all the, you know, the world how to buy it and why you should buy it. You're going to stand there and make a fool of yourself. So um, that, I think that's really, really important and key. Nice. Um, trade shows. What trade shows? Love them, hate them. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, Depends upon the shoes I'm wearing. Love them, hate them. <laughs> trade shows. They're very important to our industry. Absolutely. For sure. Our industry. And now with SuperZoo having been canceled, which I'm glad, but then again, you know, there's a part of me that's sad about it. Um, you know, there, it, it's a very difficult position for everyone. But uh, without trade shows, how do we do discovery? Um, these mm. pet industry magazines, again, they're advertisement. Mm -hmm. Marketing, right? Who do you believe without seeing the owners, without seeing staff, without communicating and touching products? It's a really tough place to be. These industry magazines and then the you can now all the online promotions and can't trust what's on Instagram. Half of Instagram is, you know, let's face it, Facebook owns Instagram. How much of it is lies or right. I'll say Russian infiltration. I'll just make fun of that right there. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. What do we do without the trade shows right now? How do we connect with brands? How do the brands connect with, the retailers, their buyer, you know, their buyers. What are we doing? Gosh, it's it's interesting. And I mean, with everything that's happened with COVID, when you're running a business and your brands are new and emerging and you don't have foot traffic walking into stores because everyone is curbside and home delivery and you can't show your new products because you can't make a sales call, it's it's not easy. It has not been easy. I'm sad to hear SuperZoo is canceled, but I completely understand it. I think at this point, for most of the companies that we work with, their shows have been postponed or canceled, um, which is super disappointing. We, we just got in with Global right under the cusp of all this happening. And quite honestly, Global did not have the foot traffic, obviously, that we had wanted and quite a few empty booths, which was you know disappointing. Um, We've really kicked this around quite a bit to see what we can do to help get our brands out there. I mean, we've done things where we've sent some samples directly to retailers to say, hey, this is a new product and we're, you know, we're sending it to you to take a look at so you can see it, touch it, feel it. Um, I think now, and I know things are opening back up, but no better time than a sampling program right now to give retailers products to put in goodie bags to hand out for curbside pickup. Um, or home delivery to say, hey, here's a new product that we have, give it a try, give us your feedback. Um, the, things like that, we need to be creative, we need to think outside of the box because without the trade show, um, seeing the customers that we always see, those relationships and then meeting new customers, it, it's difficult. I would say it'd be hard pressed for any brand right now to say, whether in the pet industry or any other industry, that it is in challenging times right now to get your product out there. Yeah, it's a bad time to launch. Yeah. yeah. Certainly is, certainly is. I, I will say, I will say we work with one distributor and I just think they did a fantastic job because we sent their inside sales reps samples 
and they actually did videos with these samples and their own pets, giving the product to their pets, watching it, talking about it. And they sent those videos off to retailers because they weren't able to go out into the field. Um, and some of them just did a great, a great, great job with their video. I thought that was really creative and, and a great idea. So we yeah. appreciate your support. Do you think the brand owners should um, you know, say, hey, to the retailers, especially ones that are influential, uh, let's do a Zoom chat, connect and, and have coffee because we can do that. There is so many opportunity. You feel like you get, and, and get to know each other. It's like sitting across from a table. It's not, not exactly, but you know, that connection is so key. Um, you know, if I wanna know about a product line, I wanna call and speak to the you know, chief operating officer or, or the, you know, the people right. that are creating it. So I have no problems being as you guys know me clearly already i mean i'm i just pick up the phone like hey yeah one so not that that matters we i love that but, yeah you're not shy <laughs> yeah we <love> that. Um, <laughs> but i think every retailers tend to get stuck and i think that's one of their biggest failures a lot of retailers get stuck in the silos they've created and eventually they bury themselves mm -hmm. in that space yeah, too much inventory, I, too much stuff not selling. You know, Kyle, I'm sorry, you were going to yeah, say. Yeah, no, no, I just think there's just that kind of the propensity to work in the business instead of on the business. So there's so many hats to wear at retail mm -hmm. that, like you said, you just get, you kind of get stuck in a rut and, and you're not looking at your business, the big picture. Yeah. And you said, you know, a lot of retailers, you see, you know how difficult it is. It's easy to get there. It's yeah. easy to Oh yeah. That, oh my gosh. It's that rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ugh, I hate it. I mean, I, I would try to drag myself out all the time so I could communicate and be human again because it, it's right. Right. I feel like I'm barking something at a, at a screen <laughs> and then yeah, <laughs> retail's tough. Tell me something, but I'd like this from both of you. What segment of pet looks to be the most promising for 2021? The most promising. I hate to say, I just hate to say e-commerce because I don't want that to be the fact. Uh, I don't know how this, how sticky all this COVID stuff is that everybody's buying online. I think a lot of, pent up demand, people want to interact with people. So I don't know if the, if, if brick and mortar is, is, is poised for a big rebound over the last three months. That's a tough question. You know, I wish I had a crystal ball and but I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know how, how consumers are going to react. Christine? Yeah, I'm going to... You're shaking your head. Uh, Kyle, and I, Kyle and I have talked about this quite a bit, actually, because I, I feel really strongly that this is an opportunity for retailers to, to kind of have a comeback, that brick and mortar could have a strong comeback here. Those that will embrace an omni-channel experience and will embrace... I mean, let's face it, there was a lot of stores that didn't offer a lot of the services pre-COVID that they offer now. And at the time, either too busy, maybe didn't think it was necessary, 
maybe didn't think they had the ability to do it or that's for a big guy to do, I'm not sure I can do, or I can, you know, I'm barely, let's be, let's face it, sometimes barely surviving each day, trying to get through each day as it is, no less think about what could the future of my business look like if I completely changed how I was doing things. COVID kind of pushed that. It pushed some retailers to suddenly say, even if it was just a sandwich board outside with a telephone number, text me your order, it pushed them to change the way that they were doing business. So, I think for the retailers that can, that can embrace the fact that people are super busy, they're working jobs, they're raising families, and sometimes they just want to order their pet food and their PJs at one o'clock in the morning. If you can give them the ability to do that, they will support their local neighborhood pet store and they will stick with you, especially if you're offering the convenience along with the education and the services. I really do believe that. For the retailers that maybe don't want to embrace the change and are going to continue doing things the way that they have been, that's their priority to do that. I'm concerned for those retailers and their future. And then I'm concerned for my future because it takes the success of those retailers for me to be successful because I need right. them to help grow our brands. We're in this together. Distributor, retailer, brand, it's all of us together working on this. It's our job to get product to the consumer for them to love our product and want to come back and buy it more. We need distrib distribution, we need, we need retailers, and we need consumers to do that as a manufacturer. So you think that retail is the segment that's most promising in 2021 if they adjust their mindset and kind of come into the, this time that we're living in? Those that are offering an omni-channel experience that is a combination, to Kyle's point, of e-commerce. There needs to be a piece there that people can have that convenience for those that don't want to go out to a store. I mean, listen, a lot of people didn't want to go out to a store pre-COVID. That's the reality. People are, right, busy, getting, you know. Lazy. Lazy, have it delivered to your front door. I mean, I just think, you know. The, the good news and the bad news of what happened with COVID, because in my area, a lot of the big stores were still open and there was confusion as if some of the smaller stores were open. I think once that confusion kind of opened up, people preferred to shop the smaller store. They felt more comfortable there than they did the bigger store. It was a chance for some of the stores to see people they haven't seen in a long time and to bring yeah. them back in. Now, what you do with them once you get them back, that's up to the store owner. You need to do things to make them stick and want to be with you. And I know that's not easy. I know it's not easy. So retail is a place to be in 2021, huh? Gosh, I'd like to think it is. I'm not saying people don't want to shop online, but I'd like to see there be a, in the perfect world, if I had my magic wand, there would be a mesh of both. Yeah, it'd be nice to see a, like a national ad campaign to, you know, you think globally, but shop locally. Yeah. And I, I would love to see that because this, you know, the lockdown, it's just, it's, it's hurt the entrepreneur so bad. It's like, I, I just don't understand how you could go, you know, you can go to Home Depot and you can buy your plants and whatever else, but you can't go to the landscape place that that's all they do is sell plants. Yeah. It's like, it's just not fair. The same thing with, you can go to Target and get your pet products, but you know, you, you can't go to your, to your local retailer because they've, uh, they don't have the the, the foot traffic to, to keep the doors open. Yeah, so, that's the shame it, of it. You, it is a shame. Target's not going to answer your questions about your nope. needs. 
know, yeah. the anxiety, the vomiting, the target, they, they, they barely know. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And the margins, honestly, you know, when you look at a bag of blue buffalo and a target shelf and a bag of blue buffalo on a local retailer shelf, price points are the same. Target buys better than we do. Yep. Small businesses, they're making the bigger margin. And the small retailer who has the answers, who can connect with the consumer, who will- Who educated, yeah. who educated the consumer and now- yeah, I mean, I, I look at at a lot of those just taking uh, brands that were once specific, you know, exclusive in the in the independent pet channel, and taking those to to Target and Walmart and wherever. It's just parasitic. It just doesn't make sense. But well, it's not parasitic. It does. That's evolution. It. <laughs> It is. It is. But it's evolution. You know, you get to a point where you sell, you sell and you sell out. You can say that, but right. if you were in that position and had an opportunity to sell and move on, you could always come sure. and do R and D with the money and, and develop some really yeah, creative. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it opens up other opportunities and um, abilities. If I had blue, well, I wouldn't have made blue Buffalo. Never mind. I'm not going. Right. No, I shouldn't have went there. You can you can cut no, that out. Cut no, out the parasitic I, thing. I like it. I think it's a good <laughs> thing to talk about. I think we we all need to connect. Um, if there was one thing you could tell a brand uh, that they need to do when they're starting out, you know, when they first start, when they're looking to create their business, when they're thinking about it, Chrissy, what what would you tell a new up and coming, let's say, food manufacturer? a food brand that's coming out, what would you tell them that one of the most important things to do is? One of the most, uh, you pick a food, like we have, we don't have enough foods out there, right? <laughs> yeah, get a plan. Yeah, it's, wow. such a, it's such a difficult segment to get into. Exactly. And it, it, that's why I pick hard things, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to go there, I'm trying to learn. Yeah. I think, you know, I think for a food, Probably one of the first things I would I would I would want to discuss with them and have them tell me is why do they feel we need another food? Tell me why you feel you are either different, needed, um, or you think you can be successful amongst a sea of a whole bunch of others. And if you can sell me on that, then we're probably going to have a good partnership. Because on the food piece, and I know, I mean, if we're talking strictly kibble, there's a lot out there. I know we've got frozen and fresh and freeze dried and toppers and can, and we've got all that out there. Um, but I would say, I, I need you to sell me on that. Because if you can sell me on that, then I'm probably going to do a really good job representing your brand and selling your brand. Okay. So I think you need to have a story. You need to have a cause. You need to be able to differentiate your product from everybody else. And you need to have the margin that's compelling that incentivizes everybody to, to get behind you. What about a CBD company? And you know, it falls right under the food category. There's mm -hmm. so that's yeah. I, yeah. So we, this morning I had um, 18 emails from different CBD companies. Yeah. So, so we're, 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 we're lucky enough that we work with a, a, a great CBD company that, that, is actually a pet company 
that came into the CBD market, not a CBD product that came into the pet. I think there's a huge distinction. Um, yeah, wow. I don't know how many, how many different CBD companies were at, at Global. It was like, a, a, it was over a hundred. Too many. Yeah. So when it comes to that, again, it, it, you've got to have a story. You've got to have something that differentiates your CBD brand from, from others. I think in that space, the most important is the closer you are to the seed, right? Where you control the growing, the, the uh, extraction, and the marketing. So we work with Earth Buddy, who, who does a great job. Uh, young entrepreneur is really focused on innovation and breaking down the barriers and making it accessible. CBD is expensive. So smaller trial size samples, because the worst thing you can do is, is introduce a consumer to a CBD product that's not effective. Correct. And then, oh, this whole, this whole category is BS and, you know, that's snake oil. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's terrible when you can go buy a 55 gallon drum of, of CBD oil and distill it into, or put a decant it into a, a little bottle and then go sell it for a huge profit and have no idea where it came from, what price it's used of, for. Price of, C, price of CBD is, is dropping. Oh yeah. I mean, it is dropping. So when I see brands out there that are a lot more expensive than others, I say, okay, what's in there? Liquid gold? Tell <laughs> me what it is and what's your differentiation point? And often they don't have an answer. Right. And that story and the creator, I think, is a huge part of the story for the CBD. If the creator is not someone who has some kind of veterinary background, if they don't know where their seeds are, what their seeds are about, where their product's coming right. from, if it doesn't have multiple uses, yeah, I'm not touching you. And, and yeah, there's a lot of companies that start, started with human and they want to infiltrate the pet sector because it is so, there's so much money to it, do. Right, right. And it's so many, we can, they can make empty promises because most people are disconnected from their animals and they're right. like, I just gave it to them, it worked. You know, there's a psychosomatic reaction. Uh, sure there is. Reaction. The placebo effect almost yeah. for your dog. Oh, he's calm. Oh, he's Look calm. how calm he is now. Well, you've been petting him for the last 10 minutes, but. Yeah. I mean, he spit up the CBD you gave him an hour ago. So, yeah. And your cat licked it. That's why she's passed out. So, um, at least it worked. Right. (laughs) Yeah, CBD is a really tough place to go. I have very detailed criteria about what I believe in. And um, it's become so, I don't know kitschy I, I just i have a hard time with it just like food so i'm trying to figure out where i'm going to go with making choices and who i would want to work with right understand difficult process you guys uh you you have i'm sure you have a lot of requests for representation on that end interesting yeah we've stayed exclusive and we're, we we're really going to we we uh we really uh, it's back to the people we really like the, the, the folks that we're working with, they're just, they're great people. High integrity. Key. Yeah. You gotta like it. Especially in that, and especially in that category. It's, Absolutely. Tell me something that you think is important for us to know within this industry. So I think the future is bright. Uh, it's, it's nice to see. Remember the shelters 
were kind of cleared out. That's the one blessing behind the COVID is that so many people went out and adopted or fostered dogs or got, you know, additional pets and those people are going to need help. And that's what independent pet does. So I think, I think the future is bright. I'd love to see the, uh, like Christy said, the resurgence of independent pet and, and get some of their market share back that they deserve. That's me. Christy. Yeah, I would, I would agree with what Kyle said. I do think that our, excuse me, our future is bright and you know, the pet industry continued to thrive through the recession, you know, and now through COVID, I mean, one thing when Kyle and I set off to do our business plan, I sure didn't plan for a pandemic. <laughs> we sure didn't put that in that something that, you know, like this could have happened. Um, and I think it's forced all of us to really take a look at how we do business and how we can get better. And I think if everybody continues to focus on their business, what they do, what they do well and strive to get better, I do think the future is bright. 